So that one made me weep earlier today, re-listening to the record. And if you do the you as a you plural to include my children, there's no, that's like a freaking life statement. <laughs> that's an actual mission statement for my life. Life is a sad, life is a bust. You do what you do, you do what you must. And you do it well. Yep. Do it for you, honey baby, can you tell? Like, so beautiful. Like, and that's the last lyric on the record, a record that includes Idiot Wind. You know what I mean? Like. That's the the yin and the yang. That's the balance right, of it. That's right. the beauty of his artistic statement about relationships and breakups. And 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 to me at least, like you can understand the rage and the glory and the sadness from how he builds out what it's meant to him. Woo! Damn. Ah. Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. Welcome to 1975. It's 50 Years of Music with 50 Year Old White Guys on the uh, Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Go to musiccitydrivein.com for all your podcasting needs, fantasy football, entertainment, etc. Maybe, Ben Barton, you could go to Ricky and propose a new angle for the website, Travel Blogs. Oh, I like the transition. Yes, I'm sad to report I find myself in a somewhat strange headspace, which <laughs> is that I'm very satisfied at a beautiful, wonderful vacation with my family where we went to both Mexico City and the beach, wow. um, Playa del Carmen. And, but I'm also uh, having a lot of diarrhea. It's the, uh, it's the end <laughs> of the Montezuma's Revenge for sure. So I'm highly drained as well. I'm drained God. in several different ways. So good luck with that tonight, Timmy. You so we're starting. That, we're starting with the bump. If that's not the bump at the front of the I mean, uh, right? podcast, the something's pull? gone horribly wrong. That's great. Golly. Well, thank you for introducing that. Oh, theme. I've got more. I've got more in that. Like, there's a lot of that vein to me. It's a rich vein, but it's I'm going to let it slide vein. for now. Rich. Jeff, Jeff Simons, you're you're not home either. You are in Annapolis. Back in Annapolis after some time at the Jersey Shore. I would like to give a shout out to uh, a whole bunch of members of uh, the class of 91 at Haverford College, where Ben oh. and I both went and uh, same year. I saw them all a couple of days ago on the beach on the way back nice. from my family vacation. We wow. have many, many 50 years of music regular listeners in that crew oh. so thanks again uh lewis delaware gang for hosting us and uh being nice to my kids and uh, we just had a a great time and they had many many suggestions for the pod which i wrote down oh. and will share at the corporate meeting later this month <laughs> at the retreat exactly at the meadows uh yeah i'm back from folly beach south carolina where i spent an inordinate amount of time building intricate sandcastles 
Yeah, you got into the castles this year, and huh? And then just watching time erode them <laughs> and eradicate them. Inevitably, inexorably. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, yeah. So, Timmy, which is your song? Is it Beyonce Sand Castles or Castles oh. Made of Sand by Hendrix? I'll go with Beyonce. Very nice. That's Georgia's favorite for sure. She is loves it? that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. I don't know it, but I'll uh, I'll be sure to play it soon. <laughs> um, I'm going to go right. with Sand by Fish, just so Ben oh, has a little more extra sand diarrhea. in my gears for sure. That's not helping at all. Oh, uh, uh, Enter the Sandman. I could, that's a, I, that's a poll by me. That's good. Enter the Sandman. <laughs> oh, is it Enter Sandman? Yeah. I don't think that much about sandcastles to me. Mr. Sandman. Uh, All right. Funny. Well, it is uh, 1975 on the podcast where we look at uh, what we think is the best album from each year. Um, before we get to that, Ben Barton, you have a number of Bonnaroo posters in your background. Bonnaroo is coming up in a couple of weeks. Jeff Simons, you're out? I'm out. I actually just booked back-to-back uh, -back gigs on Keys that weekend, so I'll be playing myself. So uh, I'll be sore. I'll be sad to miss it, but at least I will be on a stage. Who, who are you somewhere. supporting? Are you? I'm going to play Keys for my dear friend Matt Langlois and his kick-ass rock and roll project called The Welcome Mat. We are opening for Cracker. You remember Cracker? Yeah, of course. Nice. Van Beethoven guys. Of so course. yeah, so back-to-back -back nights uh, opening for Cracker and they're thanks to Cracker, they're already completely sold out. So that works out well. Wonderful. Oh, that's great. All right, so you've got two gigs. Ben, if you and I are at Bonnaroo together, will we have some sort of booth for the podcast? Yeah. What if that people seems like want to come? Really good idea. People want to come see us and meet us. I think it should either be the Lucy Van Pelt booth, the yes. psychiatry for five totally. cents, or Timmy, <laughs> we'll set you up, you handsome young man, and we'll get a little kissing booth for you. No. I actually no, think no. what you should do is just aggressively approach strangers and say, "Do you want to listen to our podcast?" <laughs> and to see how many, how that goes. I see you like. I see you like music. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I haven't looked at the lineup. Anyone I should be excited about? at Bonnaroo this year. Oh, it's great lineup this year. I, oh. I am indeed very sad to miss it. It's there. You got, it's going to be terrific. Yeah. Ooh. Phoebe Bridgers for sure. Feature okay. on the podcast. So we're going to have some good ones. Okay. Uh, Primus and... doing rushes of farewell to Kings in order. That's going to be short on Ben's short list. So. <laughs> very short. Um, and and uh, vaccination cards to get in. No way, man. This is in Tennessee. <laughs> I think you got to lick a doorknob to get in. They're just going to have everybody get it and move on. Oh. They're going to have like a random plastic bag full of the last person's breath. And you have to <laughs> you have to huff it to show you're one of us. And then you can go in and watch the music. So huff the plastic bag of the person before you. I'm in. Uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. Let's go to 1975's Grammy winning album. It's the Grammy winner. Still Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon. Title track, baby. How about that panning, huh? Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> I met my old lover on the street last night. She seemed so glad to see me. I just smiled. We talked about some old times and we drank ourselves some beers. Still
Actually, sound that crazy? <laughs> like they sat and talked about the old times and drank two beers. That actually sounds very mellow, consciously careful. So not mellow. crazy. So, but just what else? Is slip sliding away on that record. Yeah, what else is slip on that record? sliding yeah, away. Slip sliding away and uh, fifty ways, 50 ways to, leave your, to leave your lover. Oh, I hate that one. I, I don't mind slip sliding away, but I really it's, hate fifty ways. I tell you what, do a little slip sliding away. Go like forty seconds in, you're gonna get really annoyed. Go. Uh, actually, Slip Sliding Away is uh, blocked by Spotify. They have the demo version only, so that's what you're going to get a little bit of. How about hmm, that? That might be better. So just keep playing. Oh, this is better. Yeah, it is. I like that bass. That's a click track? Yeah. Well, maybe just pants on a leg. Is there a hand on the leg? Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. All right, all right. Uh, I, I can't so hear Slip hollow. Sliding Away without thinking. Rich Price, who I played with for years and has been on this podcast, got hired by a Michelin to do a Slip Sliding Away remake sound alike for tires that won't huh. like slip slide away in the snow. Uh-huh. He did such a great job that they couldn't use it because he sounded so much like Paul Simon. <laughs> that they were like, yeah, this is, we're going to get sued. You sound exactly like the original. So we that's actually amazing. lost the gig for being too great at it. So. That's, oh, that's a bummer. He could have been in like tire money there. That's I know, funny. right? Um, so still crazy after all these years, a, a man in his 30s looks back. That's in 75. That album comes out. Keeping the Faith by Billy Joel is 83. I heard about sex, but not enough. Found you could dance and still look tough anyway. Glory Days is 84. John Cougar Cherry Bomb is 87. All four of these white guys looking back at times where they feel they were cooler. Which one should be the emblematic track for this podcast? Oh, oh. that's so mean. I'm not, I'm ready. I refuse to respond. <laughs> I, you're, I await your apology. I'm going with my generation. Hope I die before I get old. Fuck that. <laughs> None of those songs. Oh, I do like Cherry Bomb. That song's good. Yeah, I actually like Cherry Bomb too. I, you know, some of those songs aren't, aren't dreadful, dreadfully awful. That Billy Joel song is dreadfully awful. It's so He dreadful. oversings that. <laughs> He sings that like he's auditioning for the lead in West Side Story. He's got like a... <laughs> I, I hate that That whole, track. That whole to album. Me, how do you like that Hall & Oates record and not like this Paul Simon record? They're, yeah, kind of confused. The same record. Really? How come? Oh. Why? Say well, more. the Paul Simon record is vastly superior to the Hall & Oates record in the same neighborhood. It's got huh. the whirly keyboards. It's got the kind of... Uh, mid seventies, like white soul production. It's also I got the like, like I'm thinking about life and it's coming to me slowly. Like, 
I you agree know, with Kim though. Like I don't like abandoned luncheonette, but I I don't think it's as um, self congratulatory and therefore mildly noxious as this record. Like this record sounds like it thinks it's important, and that's part of what drives you crazy about it, Tim. Like I, I, I if think it were good. unassuming, yeah. I think it would be. There's plenty of really wonderful songs here, but Paul Simon by 1975. I mean, I think Paul Simon. W- with thinking that his records and Dylan's records deserved an equal amount of scrutiny yes. and, and close analysis. And I've never felt like Paul Simon was plumbing similar depths as other artists. And I, I say that as somebody who is ambivalent to most of his stuff, likes some of it and is irritated by the stuff that, that became omnipresent and I had to hear too much. And this record's like that for me. I, I don't really have strong feelings in any direction about this record. I don't own it and don't play it. But I, I don't like. You're not mad that not people mad listen it. to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Ben, if, if Daryl Hall had dumped John Oates and then put out a band in Luncheonette, would I, <laughs> would I like it as much? I <laughs> much was... prefer Oates. Oates is obviously such a good dude. He he's the, the guy you meet. You, he's the old lover you stay and have a few beers with. <laughs> Daryl Hall, you see him and you go out the exit, out the back. <laughs> Hide behind the porter potty till he leaves for uh, sure. All right. Well, let's get into uh, 1975. It's uh, the year the revolt of the Earls fighting against William I, the last serious resistance to the Norman Conquest. Wait, I'm sorry. That's 1075. Okay. My bad. <laughs> Dude, that is great. Ah. Uh. That All right. Gold. I think there's oh. a U2 song about that. So that <laughs> makes sense. Here it is. Here it That's is. That's perfect. Uh, Wheel this of... song's about 1075. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune premieres on NBC. Oh, I think wow. that's 1975. And by the now, way, Vanna White and what and Sajak are on it, right? I think so. I think right from the get-go. That's you know where amazing. Pat Sajak got married? Remarkable. Uh, right here in Annapolis, Maryland, at no the kidding. height of Wheel of Fortune, it was a big hubbub. They had security and police; like you couldn't go downtown for seven hours because of the because of the ceremony. Is he a naval graduate? No, she was from here. Huh? That was exciting. Um, Space Mountain opens. I still feel uh, it's overlooked. I think it's a good roller coaster. Oh, I think it's a great role. It's I love easily Space the Mountain. best thing at uh, Disney World. Okay. Yep. Good, good, good. I love it. The All right, this is fascinating. The Haichang earthquake in China is the first successfully predicted earthquake. Haichang had 1 million residents. 2,000 died in the earthquake. Thousands of buildings collapsed. You know how they... They evacuated the city because they predicted the earthquake was coming, and that's what prevented uh, a, a more massive catastrophe. Do you know uh, what were the signs? I was about to ask you to tell us, Timmy. Just There's not a out. machine. No. They had groundwater movement and soil displacement, and that put them on a lower level of alert. And then when animals started acting strangely, <laughs> they went on high alert and evacuated 1 million people from the city or one, all, I guess all but 2000. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That, that is, is amazing. amazing. The first predicted earthquake, 1975. 
Rocky Horror Picture Show opens on Broadway and closes after 45 performances. Are either of you a fan? The movie will come out later in 1975. When is the first time you all saw the movie? I've never seen it. Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me get my list. I Beyonce, saw 84, 85 in college at, like a, at a party. Beyonce. I mean, in high school, in high school. I saw it in high school. Yeah. I saw it like, I saw junior year in high school. Sandcastle. I went to see it. Remember in Philadelphia, it played every Friday night at midnight at that art house in downtown Philly. Oh, wait, did, you didn't go to see it our orientation week? Orientation week at Haverford, they played it. Uh, I maybe I did. I, the one time I really remember was seeing it in in Philly, Friday at midnight, and half the audience was a character, and they stood up and did perfect pantomime of a song or a moment. Like it was basically a three D movie. But that was like eighty seven, I think. I came across a clip uh, where where Tim Curry was in um, Ladies Hosiery, and uh, as a, a young teen, I I was terrified. <laughs> So I never saw it. Auto should I should I have seen it? Yeah, it's worth seeing. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. not a I mean it's not a massive cinema, movie, but but it's camp and it's uh I mean it's it's a touchstone, don't you think? Generally generationally, like it's just a thing that all of us have kind of seen or oh, sorry. How's the music? Not great. Okay. Moving on. It's a musical. I mean it's silly and over the top and I'm not surprised it closed quickly on Broadway. I bet it cost a fortune, though, to put up. Let's go to the number one selling album of 1975, one we've discussed. I'm going to play the song I hate the most from the number one Fun. record of 1975. Okay. I, I mean, I don't dislike this artist. We've talked about him an awful lot. This song is nails on a chalkboard for me. It's the number one album. Greatest Hits by Elton John. Ah, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Which record is that on? Greatest, greatest hits. hits. Oh, the greatest hits is this year. It, oh. it, well, it was last year, but now it's really picked up steam. And like you said last week, this is the greatest hits era. This is the first kind of big, uh, big selling smash hit of an album. But it's and not it's, the best selling record released in 1975 to date. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm shocked. That another record sold more copies than Elton John's greatest hits. That's it. Oh, over time. Accomplishment. Uh, over time, Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here has sold more than Elton John's greatest hits. Wow. Although That's Elton a- John probably has, like, it was probably supplanted, right? Isn't there a double album, Elton John's greatest hits, that comes later? Yeah, that yeah, just yeah. Stops I mean, sure. Like, like, the, like the Eagles volume one to their greatest hits was never supplanted they just put out a volume two and that was it like i yeah. like that's why eagles volume one is like such a freaking because it's the one everyone still buys yeah right. totally yeah right. yeah yeah well Good point. Uh, so and, I, and by the way i like wish you were here is a better record than dark side of the moon that's my that, opinion on it and wish you were here is a fantastic song that song is great so i would say that um i i 
I don't like that Shine and Your Crazy Diamond is busted into two parts, and I actually put them together through the magic of audacity and listen to it as one 25 minute track. And it's by okay. far and away my favorite Pink Floyd song. I love Shine On You Crazy Diamond. It's a fabulous song. And so is Wish You Were Here. But Welcome to the Machine is a bummer. That's a, it's that's a, a super big dud in the middle of that record. And so you could argue that Dark Side doesn't have a low that's as fair. low that's as a that. Super fair. That's but fair. I agree. I should have just said that "Wish You Were Here" is the best song on either of those records. Yeah, well, I think "Shine On" is. I think "Shine On" is. Oh, is it's too long. It's too fanta- long. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I know, but I, mean, and... I, I can't listen to twenty minutes of anything. That's oh, not okay. It. I love it. What What's the bummer of a song in the middle? Uh, "Welcome to the Machine." It's like seven and a half minutes shirt. of one idea. It goes That's on forever. So bad. Yeah. It's like the, the you know the Boston song where they get signed. He yeah. drove a big because <laughs> He smoked a big cigar, a cigar or a Cadillac car. It's that song, except it's sad. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. But you know what? It's actually everything that the wall is about in seven minutes instead of two hours. So, so in that yeah. way, you could be you could be happy about it. So let's put uh, criticism aside. I am a, a newbie to uh, the world of music and you are a giant Pink Floyd fan. Uh, sell me on the band. Why? Why is the Pink Floyd is not, fan well, I mean, such a Pink Jeff Floyd fan? Uh, well, I think that um, each record uh, is an attempt to make a little world and story in and of itself. Like they were very, very conscious that each each record was uh, an entity, uh, and it was trying to be something beginning to end. And the okay. artwork is incredibly cool and careful. And they sound, the records sound fantastic. They're brilliantly recorded and mastered, uh, not just for the time period, but for any time period. Um, The David Gilmour is a really very good, soaring, kind of interesting guitar player. He's not as blues influenced as the other superstars of his era. And he's not afraid to play one note when other people are playing seven. Okay. Roger Waters is a really musical, talented bass player. The band doesn't overplay, so the stuff's aged really well. Like, there's no big, long drum solo. There's no, like, silly prog rock. I mean, for a band that gets lumped in as progressive rock, like, the songs are incredibly restrained in their performances, so they've aged pretty well. Even if they're nine minutes long. Yeah, the I mean, length thing's not an issue for me at all. If a song okay. is great, I I like that it keeps going and going and going. Like I, that's, but like, but yeah, that's part of the ambition here, right? Is that uh, they're stretching to make music that's interesting over a long time period. Not all of them. There's also two or three minute and four minute hits. And then uh, you have to hit the sweet spot. Like you want to do dark side, wish you were here and in my opinion animals which ben won't agree with me but i absolutely freaking love animals that's my favorite record of theirs okay and then but the stuff on the other sides like the super psychedelic stuff of the 60s is hit and miss and i think the wall is ridiculous and we can fight about several good songs in the wall several good songs comfortably numb is great another three to five three to five good songs in the wall but it's a 30 song record right that's a a 30 song record what so it's that's and it's a rock opera about a guy who shaves his nipples. That's all you need to know. Oh God! I mean, if I put out a thirty-song record, I could probably nail three, right? Unlikely that it'd be as good as Comfortably Numb, but <laughs> you can keep trying. Okay, good, good, good. That's my that's my plan for the next one, guys. 
Uh, hey, real quick, 1975, uh, Happy Times in East London. Uh, a band gets together and calls themselves Iron Maiden. <laughs> Pretty good career Iron Maiden has had. Correct? Uh, most famous song? Uh, Run to the Hills or The Trooper? Go ahead. For sure. Go ahead. Hit me with one of them. Oh, okay. You want me to do it for you? I could, oh! I could sing it for you. <laughs> no. I thought, it's like, no, you did that last week with uh, Holland Oates and Ben oh. had a tantrum. Well, so did Holland Oates. Here we go. Here's the. We went right back to 1055. Yeah, really and the Sabres. Run, I like it. Run you Great. through. Well, they, they sound angry, frankly. Have you seen their out record out the album covers? No, I have not. Ah, so they have the most Which one was that, Jeff? Mascot. What? That's the trooper from uh Peace the of Mind. Trooper. That's great. They have um, a mascot? I, I actually didn't know that one. That's that made me happy. Um <laughs> Eddie, their mascot, is a little freak on the cover of all the records. He's an escaped mental patient who's like murdering people or Huh. He's like a skeleton with hair and he's the he's easily the most famous mascot of any rock band ever. So if you just scroll through the Iron Maiden record covers, if you thought Rocky Horror was scary, Tim, no wonder <laughs> you're not a you probably saw an Iron Maiden cover and you were like, that is none of my business. <laughs> See, those boys need help. Um guy named Bob Chandler invents something in 1975 called Bigfoot and he gives us our first monster truck Ben Barton have you ever been to a monster truck rally do I live in Knoxville Tennessee hell yes I've been to a monster truck rally come on now <laughs> Jeff I've, have I've, you been ever... a I've been a demolition derby at Manassas Speedway okay but I've never been to a monster truck rally Ben what happens at a monster truck rally they drive big trucks over smaller cars and you cheer. That's it. That's it. And by the way, I mean that as praise. That's yeah, like, yeah. I, that's like, it, it's also a sort of Shakespearean and it's drama. <laughs> There's no complicated scoring system or anything like that. Nope. Just run over small cars. Good times. Okay. All right. Let's get to, uh, you know, we've done a number of deaths and guess who died. That seems negative. So, Oh, we're Let's doing births. Do births. I knew it. And here we go. These are people born in 1975. I will give you clues and you blurt out an answer once you have a good guess. Car accident. Infidelity. Princess Diana. Golf. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is the correct answer. Jeff's up one nothing. All right. <clears throat> soccer saturday night live 
Lasso. Jason Sudeikis? Oh, Jason Sudeikis. Yes, that is correct. Uh, all right, for pity. Shocker. You throw me all sideways on that one. <laughs> Practice? Oh, oh Iverson. Uh, Jim Moore. <laughs> Iverson. Iverson. Oh, it's not Jim Mora. It is Alan Iverson. Oh, he did playoffs. That's Jim Mora. No, right? no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Mora did playoffs. Rant is the all time greatest. It is the greatest. Favorite. There's nothing greater than Alan Iverson's practice rant. It, you're really right. It's the greatest two minutes of extemporaneous speech by an, by an American and maybe a human <laughs> being. The best part is when he's winding down. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. All right. I know this. I know this. We're talking about practice. He gets it all up and going again. Oh, my God. Oh, I love him so much. So funny. All right. Let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. I think the young man from Mexico City goes first. Well, my friends, I'm going to break some rules, but I'm going to choose easily okay. the best rule, the album from 1975, and definitely by a mile, my favorite album from 1975, and my favorite album from maybe from this decade, and my favorite Bob Dylan record. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I'm going to choose Blood on the Tracks Woo! first. And, and one reason to eschew the breaking of rules is the last time we talked about this record. We focused in on the live version of Idiot Wins. Correct. Which is one polar end of the emotions expressed in this album. It's the angriest, harshest version of the emotions on this record. And I feel like we're not giving Dylan and the record a fair shake by leaving it there. Okay. Like there's a vert, like when you hear that live version of Idiot Winds, it, it can be borderline misogynistic. At a minimum, it's a hateful breakup song. Yes. Whereas the record itself is not that. The record itself is like, it starts at the beginning of this beautiful love story. It tells all these versions of why he's so heartbroken. And then it leads us slowly to the heartbreak. And in fact, it ends on two beautiful, beautiful, beautiful love songs. Shelter from the Storm and Buckets of Rain. Um, two of my all-time favorite love songs, period, are those two. Um, so that's the record I'm going to choose. A couple of things about the record. First, I actually don't, I'm not crazy about the recorded version of the actual record. There are several songs on the first version of the record that are worse than other versions of the song. That's number one. Number two, uh, in a time period where Kanye West has had not one, but two different listening parties for his album and declined to release it because he's living in an Atlanta stadium, rewriting it as we speak. It's very topical right. for Bob Dylan. <clears throat> yeah. He goes to New York. He records the entire record. It's slated to come out at Christmas. He goes home to Minnesota. He's hanging out with his brother. He plays it for his brother, David Zimmerman. His brother's like, well, that that's not gonna sell. That that's too mopey. That's that's a breakup record. You need to you need to get a little more off tempo on that. Bob Dylan's like, sure. David Zimmerman calls six random dudes, literally random dudes from Minnesota, guys Bob Dylan's brother knows who play instruments, and he's like, come down to uh, Sound eighty. You're recording with Bob. 
So these guys just like drive down there. Wow. December 27th, they show up. Two days after Christmas, they show up. They re-record half the record. And it's all in one take or two take. Dylan barely teaches them the songs. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah try it out. <laughs> they play it. And basically, it's super hilarious because Dylan's brother was like, you need more of a, a big band sound. You know what I mean? Like the acoustic sound you have on the first versions of the songs, you're going backwards. You're, you're retreating back into your old acoustic stuff. You need a band sound. So it's literally like he's like, well, I wonder what a bar band would sound like playing these songs. And that's what he got. Like he's got <laughs> these random dudes from Minnesota. Um, some of the songs, first, all of those versions are very interesting um some of them are none of them are as good as, as as other versions in my opinion the minnesota ones um it's hard to argue with tangled up in blue like that was one of dylan's biggest hits it hit it was a top 40 hit like um i don't i like the versions other versions of it better especially the new york version um the you're a big girl now is a disaster so bad so bad so radically worse than the new york oh, version wow um Idiot Wind is is mixed, but not as good. Definitely not as good. Um, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts is a bad song, in my opinion. I know that's a hot take. I just don't like that song. So whatever he did with that wasn't going to matter to me. Um, and if you see your say hello is fine. That's like that's like in the same thing as Tangled Up in Blue. Like that's a decent version of the song. Um, but then when he goes out on the road, this is one of the things that's super likable about Hard Rain and the Rolling Thunder stuff. He keeps rewriting it. Like these are a, a work in progress. He keeps hashing over it. So I consider this album of the year as a song set of the year. Like okay. he just get like apparently on the last tour, he changed the words Idiot Wind again. Like he's just continuously working on this material. Um, it's very, very, very Kanye-esque in the way it goes. Um, I love this record. I love the story of this record. Um, the original version, so he goes, the first version, so I told you the Minnesota story. First version is he gets signed back to Columbia Records. He's been on Asylum Records for two albums. He goes back to Columbia. And he goes back to A&R Studios in New York where he'd recorded all of his best stuff in his opinion and basically in everybody's opinion. Yeah. Um, Jeff will be very excited to know that Phil Ramone is the engineer slash producer. He may return when we discuss The Stranger in a very short two years <laughs> when we get the Phil Ramone celebration. <laughs> Phil Ramone's like, Bob, I've got the band for you. I've got the A-plus band. The best country studio guys in New York are going to come and play on this. And it's the band from Deliverance. I'm not joking. The Eric Weisberg and Deliverance, ladies and gentlemen. That that song hit number two on the pop charts, was recorded in our studios, and Phil Ramone was like, these are the guys for you, Bob. Wow. So the first day, he records with the Deliverance band, and it doesn't go great. He keeps the bassist from the band, and then he brings in, the, I can't, you, Joff, Jeff will know, he brings in the, key, the keyboardist from Blonde on Blonde, right. and those three dudes record everything. And that's the famous New York versions. Um, and there's actually a, like a super well-known bootleg, which Jeff, of course, passed along to me, that has all the New York versions on it, the original version of the record, which I actually do prefer to the eventual, eventual version of the record. Um, they're beautiful, super spare. Um, it's just Dylan. Every song basically is an open E tuning. And actually, I hadn't thought about it till Jeff brought it up with Joni Mitchell and Blue. It's a super Joni Mitchell-y sound. Like it's yep. an open tuning, lots of finger picking with a really, really pronounced bass, no drums and beautiful singing. And just these heartbreaking, heartbreaking stories of love, loss and breakup. 
Um, I'm gonna. So ask, wait, which version is that? That's the New York version. That's the and New now York version. they've okay. released every version of it. There's a bootleg series that's at six CDs, Jeff. How long is Something it? Something like that. It's called uh, the Bootleg Series, Volume 14, More Blood, More Tracks. And it's <laughs> and it, every take. It's every... And it's definitely heavy on the more tracks. Yeah, but it's every take of every song. It's every single fart and note of all of the sessions. And... Uh, but the fun thing about it is you you don't have to get Jeff's bootleg. You can use that. You just look over the internet. It'll yeah. tell you what tracks. And you can build your own version of the original record. Oh, wow. And then you can add up to me on it. And you can add the call letter song. And you can add the outtakes. There's a bunch of famous outtakes from this. And, and the outtake up to me. How that got a, left off the record. Originally on Biograph Odd. is Ooh. like a top 15 Dylan song for me, maybe a top 10. It's like one of my all time favorites. It's a searing, beautiful, beautiful Up song. Up to me, it's called? Yeah, yeah totally. It's amazing. Um, so I'm going to, I decided to pull out uh, two different parts of two different songs that express the beautiful love part of it because we already had the idiot win part of it. So, Jeff, if you will go to the album version of Shelter from the Storm and start at 123, I think we get verse three and verse four. Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. Was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail. Poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail. Hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Suddenly I turned around and she was standing there With silver bracelets on her wrists and flowers in her hair She walked up to me so gracefully and took my crown of thorns Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm Yeah. Yep. So uh, those two verses, man. Like if there's any description yeah. of what it's like to find the right person to fall in love with, it's that. <laughs> like it's not the per like there's all these like we actually did it just last week of the stupid like uh, bad company where it's like I take whatever I want, baby. <laughs> I want you. I promise you that's not a lasting relationship. Like if that's the <laughs> attitude you're coming in with, that's not going to happen at all. When you find a person who's got the silver bracelets on her wrist and flowers in her hair and comes up to you so gracefully and takes your crown of thorns, yeah. like that's just the most spectacular. Like that's that's the actual version of adult love. So beautiful. Uh, second one is the last two verses of Buckets of Rain, 154, I think, on the album version. Coming up. Little red wagon, little red bike I ain't no monkey, but I know what I like I like the way you love me strong and slow I'm taking you with me, honey, baby, when I go Life is a bust All you can do is do what you must You do what you must do And you do it well I did 
do it for you, honey, baby, can you tell? Wow. Yeah. So that one made me weep earlier today, re-listening to the record. And if you do the you as a you plural to include my children, there's no, that's like a freaking life statement. <laughs> that's an actual mission statement for my life. Life is a sad, life is a bust. You do what you do, you do what you must. And you do it well. Yep. Do it for you, honey baby. Can you tell? Like, so beautiful. Like, and that's the last lyric on the record, a record that includes Idiot Wind. You know what I mean? Like, that's the, the yin and the yang. That's the balance right, of it. That's right. the beauty of his artistic statement about relationships and breakups. And, and, and to me, at least, like you can understand the rage and the glory and the sadness from how he builds out what it's meant to him. Woo! Damn. Ah, ben Parton. Mike drop. I have so much I could add. I just to say a few things. I couldn't agree more with Ben's assessment of everything here. Um, Blood on the Tracks has been part of my life since I was 14 years old. I bought it on cassette and my first real summer job was doing like maintenance and like painting and putting in like um, fiberglass ceilings and all that kind of, and uh, you know, we had a crappy little boom box with paint all over it. And whenever it was my turn for like a month, I put Blood on the Tracks in and I just, we, we just all quietly worked while that record played, you know? And uh, I've loved it. I, I feel like I've loved it as long as I've loved music. I agree with Ben that part of what's amazing about it is that it's not finished. Um, it's like it's like somebody took it from him and was like, wait, wait, I'm not quite, and then put it out. Um, and I can't recommend highly enough for those of you that love this moment as music, get, go uh, look up the bootleg series. I have now three different blood on the tracks that I got to assemble myself. Um, there's the record version. And then there's the New York raw acoustic version. You're right, Ben, that Lily Rosemary's by far and away the weakest song in the record, but it's so much more palatable as an acoustic, like old ballad the way he does it in New York than with the sing-songy, ridiculous harmonica playing on the official version. Okay. Um, and this this is a thing I really did. It's just a record that, I mean, this record is also kind of part of my adult professional music life. I played Blood on the Tracks all the way through with an all-star band at Slim's, including Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead on oh, bass wow. and all my closest friends. And I sang the finale i sang buckets as a duet with megan and it's oh. me megan jerry becker and phil lesh the four of us on stage singing buckets of rain dang to close the set and then we brought all 17 people who had been a part of it and did like a rolling stone and it was like a thousand decibels it was great but i remember <laughs> being in the middle of that song and i'm like kind of looking around it's like i can't believe <laughs> I'm in the center of this musical moment, you know, it's just, it's, and those songs are so meaningful to play. You know, I've, I've played them all on bass before that night. I was a keyboard player, obviously, cause Phil was, uh, I was nice enough to let Phil step in on bass and see what he could do, you know, but just okay. every song, every song, we all had a moment where we were looking around like, good Lord, these songs are good. And that we had a different singer for every song and they were really different singers and they brought something different. And like every single one of them sang like their life depended on it because the song they'd been given was so good, you know? Um, 
This this record explains the Dylan mania of today. If you don't have blood on the tracks, then there's no Dylan cult because he makes yeah. all those great records. He has a motorcycle accident and then he's got like folks who stayed with him the way folks stayed with like, say, Paul Simon. But blood on the track, the comeback of 74 to 76, where he makes music as vital and reinventive as any major rock artist that's i think the reason everyone is still willing to stay with him i don't think time out of mind or oh mercy by themselves would have been enough to to resurrect the cult but um as certainly for me without blood on the tracks i'm not chasing dylan's tail down every rabbit hole he goes down for the for the next 40 years so. No, I heard this. Re I read this really interesting, and I, th I think it was Stephen Hyden in the Ringer. But basically, oh, it was like the, the 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 beauty of the work, the the villain work in the '60s is it really embodies the '60s. And the crazy thing about this record is, he turns to this internal, broken, personal record, and it embodies the '70s. Yeah, so like, that's captured. Really he captures the generational voice for this next decade. The yeah. same dude. It's yeah. amazing, and in particular, to have him do it. You know what I mean? Like to have the Masters of War and Blown in the yeah, Wind guy man. have this be the second act is amazing. And also just freaking spot on for the 70s. Everybody on this podcast has a bunch of friends who had divorced parents and were miserable and destroyed, you know, and their kids suffered through it and all of that stuff. Um, and this is perfect for that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the one song we really haven't talked about with all this Dylan talk is Tangled Up in Blue. And that last stanza kind of speaks to that. You yeah, know, all summer, I can all you can do is keep on keeping on. That right. starts the record and do what you must and do it well ends the record. And like that, right? We were our Gen X was raised that way. Like your job is to keep on keeping on, right? And your job's to do what you must and do it well. And Gen X has, you know, disappointed in many ways, but we do know how to put our noses plug down away. and work. We're we know how to work. We know how to plug stay up late do revisions don't leave it until it's finished no and that in a way me. that's like self-defeating and maybe uh Abusive. not particularly healthy but it does <laughs> yeah. it, we are productive you know and this record was one of those like kind of messages of like production is part of the responsibility of life you know but those quotes, I mean, this is a record where the quotes come to me over and over yeah. and yeah. over again. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's like, it's, it's a lovable, but it, it haunts me. And in particular, the different versions of it. So the Tangled and Blue reminded me, the New York version, verse six, changes out the Montague Street. Yep. Oh, really? He was always in a hurry, too busy or too stoned. And everything yeah. that she ever planned just had to be postponed. Oh, which, yeah. by the way, like as an ex explanation of what he's done to his wife and his marriage, yeah. perfect. Then wow. next, he thought they were successful. She thought they were blessed with objects and material things. And then this Dylan sneer comes in, but I never was impressed. Yeah. Oh. So good, dude. I meet a person at least once every two weeks where I'm like with objects and material things, but I but never I was impressed. <laughs> Damn right. That's so good. The one that kills me is oh. in uh, uh, You're a Big Girl Now. He says, and I'm just like that bird singing oh, just God. for you. Jesus. That, have, I, have I been that guy? Oh, oh dude, it's not God. that. It's the, um, 
the one that the, the verse that's I think it's, it's that same verse. Is it yep. the same verse where he says, I can change, I swear? I swear. Oh, I can change, oh. I swear. And he goes, Whoa! Oh. And I mean, dude, that that that's the one that that when I say the the friendly, unfriendly, that's a right. haunting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he sings that, you can tell he does not believe for one millisecond that he can change. Yeah. He knows he's lying or that as it will it matter out of his face. Right. And I or mean, that it will matter. Like, right. I, I can't change. And even if I could, you wouldn't, you know, you say you want change, but you really don't. And it's no, all no, but, I mean, like but, but, I mean, but his sincerity in it. I mean, oh. believe me, I've spent 51 years pounding nails into the ground with my skull trying to change things <laughs> that I can't change. <laughs> and that line is just the, the, the calling card for it. Oh, yeah. Check yeah, it yeah. Out. Dear that. readers, dear readers. <laughs> Listeners, check it out. It's a good, pretty good record. It's a pretty good record. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So, uh, yeah, my turn. We good? Let's do it. So, again. Well, wait. Uh, yeah. Just one, one thing about Ben and, and changing. And I, I just remember talking about golf, of all things, with my brother. And we were, we were talking. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Do you, do you think you're getting better? as if like i'm talking like well if i spent a little more time like doing this or doing that like I, I i was still thinking i was on an upward trajectory in in my golf uh excellence when the truth is <laughs> i'm never gonna break like 90 it's never gonna happen it was such a heart-wrenching statement by my older brother he's like he was like no this is it man this is we've plateaued this is it this is who you are as a golfer but that's an important prepositional phrase because this is not who you are it might be yeah. who you are as oh, a golfer as right. a golfer but many other things look you have yeah some look at me I promise. yeah all right go ahead example, jeff simons you might be able to improve uh what the ceiling of your basement looks like yeah <laughs> or listen to this beyonce song about sand there you go yeah all right so remember i i'm, I'm holding myself to some rules I'm, I'm not talking about any <sighs> artists uh, or else uh, in addition to Blood on the Tracks, you know, there's a little fella named Bruce Springsteen who made a record this year, which is not bad either. He's I'm coming up. Talk- Don't worry. All right, good. Well, I'm going to talk about a record that um, isn't really underground. It gets talked about all the time. It's okay. on all the lists, but I'll bet it's a record you've heard of and not listened to. And I'm saying that not just to the two of you, but I'm saying it to, <laughs> you know, the other six people who are listening right now. Right. Um, and it, I think the most fascinating thing about this record is it's asking the question, what constitutes an artist, right? What is an artist? Is an artist somebody that finds spare time to create something? Or is it somebody that goes all in into the artistic life and everything that that brings up? Poverty, uh, a, a more degraded living situation, month to month living. Do you have to suffer for your art? Is suffering... The point on some level is the person as much the art as the art that person produces. And these are all questions asked and re-asked in the work and life of Patti Smith, whose debut record, Horses, is released in 1975 and is my choice. Patti Smith, born in the suburbs of New York City, um, uh, as a child experiences these kinds of fever dream, probably borderline epileptic events where she has visions. Um, she's re- raised in a deeply religious family. And so visions of religion and, 
God and Christ and the sacrifice are, you know, become kind of move in within these kind of occult convolutions that she has in her mind. And she decides, I am going to be an artist. This is a, a lower to middle class family of pluggers and readers and hard workers. And rather than take the the appointed path to the middle class she runs to the village and dedicates herself to the life of the suffering artist and she starts as a painter and then she's a poet she falls in with uh, a bunch of experimental artists and starts a torrid love affair with robert maplethorpe and they are an on and off again couple all the way up through the release of this record they live together in the famous chelsea hotel she befriends all of these kinds of crazy underground New York characters. Um, and she starts doing poetry evenings where she's accompanied by a guitar friend of hers, a guitarist friend of hers who she meets named Lenny Kay. Lenny Kay is also himself a scenester, but he's very important to Patti Smith because all Patti Smith really knows about rock and roll is Mick Jagger. And she wants to be the female Mick Jagger. Like one of her goals, like how do I become of rock star and she's more interested in the idea of Mick Jagger as an idea than she is Mick Jagger the musician or the Rolling Stones music she loves it but Lenny Kay is a nut he's like an obsessive <laughs> like some of the people who are involved in this here podcast he's collecting old weird 45s and he knows every musician who played on everything and he knows that Phil Ramone did this and he did that he actually curates one of the most famous and most important uh, collections of songs. It's a thing called Nuggets that comes out in 1972 and it's all these garage rock singles from the 60s. Huh. And he's he's the reason that there are box sets. Like he's the reason there's a Rhino Records or there's any kind of like, hey, maybe we should go back and collect those one hit wonders. Like it all starts with Lenny Kay and the Nuggets series. So he starts uh, accompanying her and he suggests they bring in a couple of other um, artists and, and they put out a single uh, on their own record label, Orc Records. Side A is Love a cover of, of Hey Joe, which made, was made famous by Jimi Hendrix. The flip is a poem she wrote called Piss Factory about a terrible nine to five job where she worked in a factory and the guys are coming on to her and the women are mad because she's working too fast. And like, you got to slow down. You're making us all look bad. And it's got this crazy guitar and piano background. And, and indescribably, she gets a record deal because she's playing this bizarre, weird music. Sometimes at CBGBs with her friends who are in the Ramones and television and talking heads and Seymour Stein at Sire Records is signing all these guys and a couple of other labels are like, uh, uh, Patti Smith gets a major label record deal. To <laughs> this record is totally like, sorry to interrupt, this totally yeah. like Seattle in the nineties. They're literally yeah. like, yeah. well, just, just go down the list of who played here. Let's sign them all. Who yeah. cares? Sign yeah. them all. The piss factory lady? Sure. Let's right. do this thing. So she doesn't even really have a, I mean, she's got like this not quite rock and roll band yet. Like, We're going to need a drummer or something, right? Yeah. So they put, they rehearse, they rehearse, they rehearse, they rehearse. They go into the studio and they make this record. They make it at Electric Lady Studios, which is Hendrix's old studio down in the village. Um, she's never been in a re real recording studio before. And so she's a huge pain in the ass to work with. Like, she doesn't think it sounds right. She doesn't understand how microphones work. She wants the band to play live and thrash everything around. He's like, that's not going to sound good when we actually try to make a record. And it's back and forth, back and she and her producer go back and forth. Um, but what comes out is completely wildly different from anything that has come out before. First is the amazing cover taken by Maplethorpe. 
Patty in a suit and it introduces androgyny and it introduces the kind of gender bending that David Bowie was up to, to women. And, and the first time you see the cover of Patty Smith's horses, right? When she's got her chin up and she's sneering, she is a woman looking down the barrel of your gaze like men do. And it's the first, it's the first rock and roll woman who's not dolled up, who's not tarted up, who's not a sex object, right? Patty Smith is, her look on that cover is complete and utter confidence and disinterest in you back, right? The music is all over the place. There's a straight up rock and roller. There's a reggae song. There's a ballad. There's a piano ballad. There's a guitar ballad. Like, and she's an untrained singer, but she, I mean, she gives her life to each one of these performances. And there are covers all over the record. And that's part of what's going on here, which is so interesting is she's taking early 60s rock and roll. She's rewriting the lyrics to be this kind of modern proto-feminist consciousness. And then she's pushing it through this punk filter. And so she's trying to reclaim the kind of macho Mick Jagger posturing rock and roll thing that reached its nadir in bad company and claim <laughs> it for women and claim it as a new kind of presentation of this sound for 1975 onward. Um, it is the best first line of a record ever. There are a lot of great records with a lot of great first lines, but I think this is the most confrontational in your face. Like, oh, I now must pay attention to this. The first song is a remake of Van Morrison or Them's Gloria, but made famous okay. by their lead singer, Van Morrison, which is a sneering, misogynistic, like this girl's walking down the street and I follow her and I'm like, what's your name? You know, and she spells it for her and I take her up to my room and she takes all of that misogynist male energy and she turns it into something completely different while the band absolutely blows out this three chord rocker. But this record is uh, super challenging. You might not like it the first time through because it's not what you expect. It's not a punk record. It's not a rock record. It's an art record that has punk rock and rock and roll and some stuff that isn't either one of those things. But um, I, I love it. I actually taught it as a text last year in a course about um, American Voices. We read uh, the, her autobiography, Just Kids, which mm -hmm. covers her early life up until the release of this record. And then we kind of studied this record as a piece of art. Cool. And my kids were, they loved her in the text. They just loved Patti Smith. They thought she was so brave and warm. And they just, and then I, we put on the record and they just were crestfallen. Because oh, it didn't sound shoot. like anything. They wanted to love it so much, <laughs> but the record is so challenging that they couldn't hear it. But I think the third time you hear this record, it makes sense. And if you're me, the 50th time you hear it, you you're, can't wait for the next song. So here's Gloria, reclaimed by Patti Smith that leads off 1975's Horses. Horses by Patti Smith. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Yeah. Milton, pot of thieves, wild cord of my sleeve, thick 
heart of stone My sins my own They belong to me Me People say beware constraints let me just bring you to the last wow. like, 30 seconds or so, so you can it. hear where it goes yeah Is a kick-ass song right there. Yeah, it's good. Starting from one, one to one hundred. One tempo to that. Yeah. Wow. And you know, it's amazing. It's like she becomes a big top ten hit. She co-wrote "Because of the Night" with Bruce Springsteen. Oh and yeah, yeah. Her yeah, version yeah. goes sure. top twenty, and she's yeah. playing like five to ten thousand seaters in 78 79 and 80 playing this super weird music like right. her next three records are a little more straight up rock and roll than this one but it's they're still pretty uncompromising uh and when i see when i see footage of the patty smith band playing live and then i look up their sales numbers and where they were on the charts i am kind of like how the hell did that happen like this a really this is really challenging music that was also popular yeah. and it hasn't it hasn't sustained like patty smith's not she doesn't get brought up in the ways that no. I would expect her to. And she's not anthologized at all. She's never on like best of the seventies or like oh, classic record is no, I mean, not, not in the collections, like on lists. Yes. Oh, but like, if you buy like, yeah. you know, one of those box sets, like the seventies, like, it's never her stuff's always left off. So which I think I that's fair. But on the other hand, she's a massively gargantuanly influential, like artist. For oh female yeah. Artists. I mean, yeah. like, her attitude and her take on it is like really like there's a really great I think they're Swedish band called Slot Face that's got oh, a female yeah. singer. And they've got <laughs> a song where the chorus is Patty Smith would never put up with this shit. That's yep. the actual That's a great <laughs> song. Ben, ben turned me on to this band. They're terrific. Patty Slot Smith Face, would yeah. never put up with this shit. I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's not the only one. Like, I mean, she, like the, the, she's been enormously influential. The it's challenging, totally aside from the challengingness of it. This is right, right? It's a, it's, it's John Kale as the producer. Yeah. Okay. From so the Velvet the, Underground. Yeah, that VU sounds just chaps me just a yeah, little bit. Like yeah. it's a little Velvet Undergroundy, um, and there's a like a practice sloppiness to it, or, or like a practice not being able to play your instruments to it that that bugs me a little. Although bit. here, I think it's very legitimate. No, I mean, no, dude. I got dudes no, no. who are just learning how to do it. You know? I was about, I was just about to get to the, all yeah. that being said. Yeah. Like um, one of the challenges for the thing is we start in 69 and you don't want to start with a, a, a list that's just all males all the way through it. And yeah. so thank you for bringing this up. This is yeah, a right. tremendous, spectacular, awesome artistic achievement. She's <laughs> a fucking badass. Yeah. Good for her. 
and talk about the the did it my way Sinatra thing. Like she extra mega did it her own way yep. and made it. Like yeah, I think this record charted like somewhere in the top one hundred. Like yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, one of the great rock and roll love stories of all time. She and Maplethorpe break up, and if you want to read the most harrowing story of somebody sticking with a bad boyfriend. Oh, shoot. Read Just Kids, because good Lord, does Maplethorpe put her through it. But oh, she ends gosh. up married to Fred Sonic Smith, the lead guitar player of the MC5. They co-retire from music in 1988 and raise a happy family. And only after his cancer death does she go back in and start making music again. And she's That's made awesome. she makes an amazing comeback. She makes like three or four records in the 2000s that have... Each one has one or two monster tracks on it. So she's a she's not just a revolutionary artist. She's a admirable human being. For I'm sure. A, yeah. But yeah. But uh, it's still disappointing her her uh, kind of sellout turn with Scandal. That was yes, unfortunate. I know, right? I really agree. Goodbye to you. Just doesn't. It's not the same thing. Although Bang Bang, I am the Warrior. Was, <laughs> you know. Outstanding. Uh, I am here for the jokes. Uh, guys, we've been going on too long. Let's just go right to Bruce Springsteen, who puts out the best album of 1975. Can we start like, um, let's go with Born to Run, because we've covered Thunder Road. Born to Run at like the, maybe the one minute mark, somewhere in there. All right, coming up. Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. That's not one minute. I mean, what, what an opening. Yeah, we, got, we can't not do this. <laughs> right, here we go. Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions. Just wrap your legs around these velvet rims and strap your hands across my There's a great story about that drum fill right there. That oh, hit it. What's the story? So this is the only Bruce Springsteen recording that features the 1974 band with David Sanchez on piano and Ernest Boom Carter on drums. The first two records have Vinnie Mad Dog Lopez on drums. And then Boom Carter joins the band, records this single. Springsteen can't get the record done, can't get the record done. And Sanchez and Boom Carter panic and jump for a jazz fusion band. Oh, they good bring luck with that. Max, <laughs> they bring in Max Weinberg oh. to finish the record. And then Weinberg has to go out on tour and he can't play this drum track because Boom Carter does that jazzy like and Weinberg, the rest of his life, he never can get it. So he does like his own little version of it. But this song That's is the amazing. only version. And like, there's a documentary about this record where they're interviewing Boom Carter and he's like, yeah, man, I thought I was jumping off a sinking ship and then I have to go into a grocery store and hear me playing drums for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> that song is really funny. 
That is amazing. I did yeah. not know that. The, yeah, the line I was wanting to go to was, uh, baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. It's a, it's suicide, a suicide rap. Rat. Oh, man. But then what happens? We got to get out. That's yep. right. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Do you remember when the state of New Jersey wanted to make the song the official song of the state of New Jersey? <laughs> I always thought that not, would have been not great getting the poster. It. Baby, this town rips the bones from your back. Come visit New Jersey. <laughs> Let's go to the literary corner of the podcast. Quote, leave this wreck and ruin here where it hath happened. Meddle no more with it. Begin all anew. Has thou exhausted possibility in the failure of this one trial? Not so. Preach, write, act. Do anything save to, to lay down and die. Jeff Simons, what book? No idea. This is Hester Prynne's impassioned speech ah, to Arthur Dimsdale in the woods. Oh, and I, when, he, when she rips off the letter. Yeah, and she rips off the letter. Put it back on. I love she that. She says, dude. baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's You're a right. death trap. Let's go. Let's get out of here. I should have gotten that. I apologize. Spoiler alert. They don't leave the town. Um... <laughs> Great album, though. Oh, Gate to Gate. I even like Meaning Across the River. I like yeah. every song on this record like, a whole yeah. bunch. Poor Eddie. Eddie's going along for the ride. Just put something in your pocket. Make it look like a gun. Oh. Ben, would you agree that that few of these songs are the definitive ones in comparison to the live versions from the from the the, the uh, next two tours that follow, or do you like these studio versions? Oh, the live versions are much, much, much preferable. Phenomenal. Dude. And also, yeah. like, like yeah. I, I like the live version of Born to Run I heard last time I saw Springsteen two years ago. <laughs> yeah. He still yeah. closes with it. It still kills. Everybody <laughs> loses their mind. Yeah. It's awesome. They really do. They I don't really know how do. he does that. He makes you feel like he hasn't played Born to Run in, like, a really long time, and he's rediscovering it. No. Even he's... though he, he plays it every goddamn night. I do not know how he does that. It's really amazing. It's amazing. It's not only is it's it's amazing, but it's also it's so generous. Huh giving performer it's such yeah. a beautiful thing for him to do that for us you know what i mean i mean yeah. like like pearl jam doesn't close with i'm alive every night you know what i mean they like they 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 mix it up they play that sometimes right. they play other things um and that's fine they're great i'm not trying to say they're not great but for springsteen to be like you know what i feel like dude like you jeff <laughs> i know you saw the river tour right yeah he's not gonna play the whole river play yeah, the whole river Finishes it up and he's like, "Ah, oh, he's more to run. Thanks for coming." <laughs> so good. When he finished the river, I, I mean, first of all, side side four of the river goes oh, on forever. I, I mean, I was like, I love those songs, but all in a row, I was like, "Oh, help a brother out." Yeah, I, agree. I was like, "Oh, I I I, I, I missed the happy days of Point Blank. That was when we were really like cheerful and happy, <laughs> dude." When we got to rest on the yeah, highway, it was like, right. I, don't know what, I, I mean, it get closer for to run those nights. Anyways, it was amazing. Yeah. And you know, when the stones do satisfaction every night, they rush through it. They're barely paying attention. Like they do it at triple speed, but born the run, he, he leans into those lyrics. Like his neck totally. is all straining, yep. you know? I mean, he's really, he's back in it. It's so impressive. great. Um, when does the saxophone leave us? That is such a good question. Actually our dear friends at um, uh, Rich and, uh, yeah. and Clint have did a they whole cover this? episode. 
what happened to the saxophone oh i gotta and go check it out it's careless whisper that kills the saxophone no <laughs> what like, how dare like, they that's the song that that starts the slow slide but they they they're you got to listen to that episode it's hilarious i gotta they, do they've it. got every great all those hall and oates songs have a sax solo like everything does men at work has a saxophone I was, like, yeah. a, well they had a saxophone in excess as a saxophone you're like good god everybody had everybody one. and then overnight nobody had one here's it's really here, funny here's what killed me today uh, Debbie Gibson, Only in My Dreams, comes on. And I'm like, Flannery, oh, check this out. This is a teenage singer-songwriter because Flannery has aspirations and she's written her own her first song and it's awesome. Uh, I don't think she's going to bring a saxophone into it, but Debbie Gibson, by golly, and that stupid pop hit, Only in My Dreams, there's like this 90-second long sax solo. It's yeah. unbelievable. By the way, would you do me a favor and get her a copy of Horses? Before you get her a copy of Debbie Gibson's Out of the Blue, just so, to, just to, as a little Uncle Jeff nudge towards, she's uh, been injecting Olivia Rodrigo straight into her veins. Okay, um, but yeah, I will try to mix in some Patty Patty Smith okay. as well. All right, all right, my brothers, well Ben's, done, Ben. I know where you got to go. Bed, B E D bed, but first Hopefully. the toilet. <laughs> I was gonna say, I hope it's not toilet that bed. Let's bed. bring it, bring things ah. full circle. 1975, ladies and gentlemen. Is it? Is is where? It's in the can. Thank you, Jeff. Thank You're you welcome. very much. See you guys next week. Well done, brothers. Love yeah, you. Yeah, love you guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Air.